Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday, August 11th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USC Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com, and today's Power to the Pod, which means it's your show, it's your topics, it's your questions, it's your hot takes. All all I am doing is conducting the train. And you guys have brought, I have a slew of iTunes questions to get into today, as well as a number, great number of Twitter questions. As always, if I do not get a chance to tackle everything on the docket, and I'm telling you right now, it is mathematically impossible for me to tackle everything you guys threw at me this week, which I am eternally grateful for. I would much rather have it be this way. Some of this content will be converted into written content over at Dolphins Wire. Others will be converted into additional shows throughout the course of the week because here at Locked On, we do five days a week, your team every day, as they say. But our first question comes from Ish, August 3rd. So this one was not visible when I did last week's Power to the Pod, which for some reason iTunes doesn't post them immediately as they come in. They take a while. But that's okay. Ish, five-star review, Power to the Pod. Thank you, as always, for leaving uh, a review. Question is, even though Tua was cleared, should we be concerned given Miami's medical staff in the past? For example, they cleared Tannehill to play when shortly after he tore up his knee. I think here's each and every single individual player instance is, is difficult to lump in together, right? Um, I'll say this about the Tannehill situation. Dolphins were in a playoff run. Ryan Tannehill knew, never having made the playoffs before, if I have knee surgery, my season will unquestionably be over. I will not play in the playoffs. If you remember that lead up to the wild card game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, there was some, like Tannehill dressed for the game and he wore a brace. And a a player is always going to choose to play. Now, whether or not that was the right decision to opt for stem cells and rehab after the season was over, that's a different story. But I do think it's important to recognize that, you know, you have to, and the Dolphins have done this at every juncture. They have made decisions based on what is best for the entirety of the team and in the big picture view. So the Dolphins very easily could have left Josh Rosen out there last year. But... A, Brian Flores wanted to win. B, you can't get a good evaluation of the rest of the roster if Josh is operating as slowly as he is with his decision-making process. And Josh is a danger to himself with the amount of sass that he was taking. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the better option for Josh at that point as well. So I think Brian Flores, and this is why I talk about, you know, despite a slew of coaching changes that the Dolphins endured and, and different coordinators the CEO of the operation is still the head coach. And I think that's why it's so important. So 
I trust Brian with all of the information that they're going to have courtesy of the medical professionals. And never mind, it's not just Miami's doctors, right? You remember before the draft, Tua's entire camp, and yes, they had a vested interest in Tua getting drafted as high as they possibly could, but also medical professionals before the draft and the pre-draft process endorsing Tua's recovery as well. So, uh, no, I don't think the Tua situation, if the Dolphins decide to trot him out there, I think it will be because they feel he's ready. I don't think there's any lingering red flags. I mean, structurally speaking, the, the bone and the joint recovery is healed, and this was a freak accident to begin with. So the prognosis should be very promising for Tua uh, with the recovery from the hip injury. Does that mean he's not going to battle with injuries throughout the early portions of his career unless he adjusts his game? Not necessarily, but I don't think it's a guarantee that like Tua's hip is going to be super high risk when he gets on the field. Great show from uh, Noah, five-star review, also August 3rd. And I know where we're going here, and I'm going to lead everybody into it anyway. With training camps slowly opening up and all of the new protocols in place to keep players safe and Tua finally get on, getting on the field, does Gronkowski have the angle? And the answer is emphatically no. Rob Gronkowski still does not have the angle on Kenyon Drake. Glad we can bring that back to the forefront every once in a while. Uh, Dolphins fans are blessed from Cam. Thank you. Listen to Locked On. Dolphins and Draft Dudes every day for two years, hoping to get more engaged with the pod. This is a great, great opportunity to do that. Um, as a diehard Dolphins fan from Chicago, hoping you'd answer this on the next part of the pod. All right, well, Cam, I got you today. Loved your segments identifying the prototypes for what made Dolphins corners and Dolphins offensive linemen. Could you talk briefly about what you can glean about ideal linebacker and defensive end types? I see Micah Parsons and Greg Rousseau as possibilities for our top 10 Texans pick this year and want to know if they are ideal fits. Fins up. I'll be happy to. Um, I think as far as the linebacker group goes, it's interesting. The Dolphins have some versatility there, but they also have some specialization there. Uh, you have Camus Gruger-Hill, who's a former safety, who now plays inside linebacker, who's really good in pass coverage. And you have uh, Jerome Baker, who was forced and asked to do quite a bit last year that he probably wouldn't be asked to do if the Dolphins linebacker room had more talent last year. He's ideally a will and plays in space and has really good flashes in pass coverage, uh, but his own teammates commit defensive penalties on the plays he just happens to get all his interceptions on. So make heads or tails of that. Raquan McMillan is a thud linebacker. He is a thumper. Kyle Van Noy, the jack of all trades, the guy that can play Sam. He can play outside linebacker and rush. He can play Mike linebacker if you need him to. And I think that's, um, that's probably going to continue to be the case for the Dolphins. So I think you need to look at like the specialization players, the Camus Gruger Hill, the Raquan McMillan. You got to understand the more versatility you have. You need two guys who have versatility and can you know, play on all three downs. And I think they have that in Jerome Baker and Kyle Van Noy. But that third or third slash fourth linebacker role, depending on if you're going odd or even fronts, um, you're, you're going to have a thumper. And look at 
Donta Hightower with the New England Patriots who opted out this year amid the COVID-19 concerns. And uh, he is a physical monster and he is an A1 run defender and he's a really effective blitzer. Uh, but he's not somebody who regularly sees the field in coverage and is asked to play in coverage. And that's okay. But as you're looking at the Dolphins and what they're going to want to do, well, Micah Parsons is a terrific opportunity to improve your Mike linebacker situation with another player that can play all three downs. And versatility is the name of the game of the Patriots. So does he fit? I don't think he doesn't fit. But I do think you would be you would have to let Raquan McMillan walk if you're going to bring in Micah Parsons because now you have three three down stud linebackers and you have a stereotypical Sam in Van Noy, Mike in Micah Parsons, and Will in Jerome Baker. And part of the appeal of Micah Parsons is he's from my neck of the woods, Central PA. Uh, Prep, he was a defensive end. So he knows how to rush the passer, and Penn State blitzed him quite a bit, and he was very effective in doing so. So he could still do some of the downhill pass rush blitz pressure type things while also being able to stay on the field. Uh, Where it gets kind of dicey with that proposition is, you know, how do you get into sub package? Are you going to leave three linebackers on the field in sub? Because if you do, you're going to have to go with a 3-3-5 variation, or you're going to have to walk off one of your base defensive ends and let Kyle Van Noy assume a rushing role. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think you just have to understand that bringing Micah Parsons into the picture means you're probably going to play more linebacker sets in a defense that based on the track record in New England is probably going to look to play a lot of five and six defensive back sets. So there's only 11 guys on the field, right? So how do those numbers add up? There's a domino effect there, but Micah Parsons is an elite prospect and a great fit. Greg Rousseau, the defensive end from the Miami Hurricanes, is an interesting case study. He's only redshirt sophomore. He was only going to have his redshirt freshman tape on display uh, before he gets drafted. He's already elected to sit out the 2020 college season and is declared for the 2021 NFL draft. He's already signed with Drew Rosenhaus. So, like, he's all the way in. There ain't no getting back off the train now. Like, you're going to the NFL with one year of tape. Is he a fit? Um, from what I've gathered based on Miami's defensive ends, they covet more power and they covet length extension, just like their offensive linemen, right? Their ability to uh, extend, keep their chest clean, collapse the line of scrimmage and play on the plus side of the line of scrimmage. Greg Rousseau can do that. But I think if Greg Rousseau is going to be an ideal fit for the Dolphins, He's probably going to have to stack on a little bit of weight. Now, he's 6'5", 260, right? So he has plenty of room to grow because he's like little, he's very lean with his build still. If you can fill him out and you feel confident in your ability to do that, you might be talking about a guy who could develop into kind of one of these hybrid A or C gap, B gap, pass rushers. And I think if if he can stack the weight, I think he's a good fit for Miami. 
the risk is you're going to ask him to probably stack 20, 15 to 20 pounds of weight. And you only ever saw him play at 255. So I'm a little more skeptical about Miami buying into Greg Rousseau as a top pick than I am with Micah Parsons. Question from Disney Doze on iTunes reviews. Five stars. Thank you. Uh, What do you think the best name for our stadium has been over the last 20 years? Jeez. 20 years. So since 2000, what? That's like uh, Landshark Stadium. Maybe it's because it's like in the here and now, but I really like Hard Rock Stadium. The Rock. Right? Something about that logo with the guitar. I think it looks nice. I think they've done a nice job with branding. I'll go with Hard Rock Stadium. That's my favorite. I do like Land Shark Beer, though. Stellar content. Thank you. Five-star review. Question. If you become the Dolphins head coach in the year 1996, in the immediate aftermath of Don Shula's retirement, what offense would you run, and which one current NFL player would you take with you? Okay, so we got a time machine in this hypothetical, I'm assuming. I know I got to get Dan Marino a chip. And I know I got three years to do it. Who's the one player I'm taking with me, and what offense am I running with Dan Marino? Jeez, this is okay. This is a heavy hitter. Let me think here for just a sec. Um, so this 1996 team, Jimmy Johnson took over. Team went eight and eight, finished fourth in the AFC East. Uh, Indianapolis was nine and seven. Buffalo Bills ten and six. Uh, starters on this team, Dan Marino, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Stanley Pritchett, Fred Barnett, O.J. McDuffie, Troy Drayton, Richmond Webb, Keith Sims, Tim Ruddy, Chris Gray, James Brown. Uh, pretty pretty solid offensive line. Obviously, O.J. McDuffie uh, would have been a much more accomplished player if he could have had the chance to stay healthy. Uh, that toe got him. Uh, defensive line, Trace Armstrong, Dale Gardner, Tim Bowens, Danny Stubbs. Linebackers, Dwight Hollier. Uh, Zach Thomas, Chris Singleton, Terrell Buckley, Calvin Jackson, Lewis Oliver, Sean Wood. Offense I'm running, I'm probably running a... I know it's it's tempting with Dan to go with like Air Corel and push the ball down the field. I'd probably go with a West Coast offense. Um, just because I, I, I think... The less hits I could expose Dan to, the better. And I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do what Jimmy Johnson did and give Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the ball 307 times for him to rush for 1,100 yards and average 3.6 yards per carry. That really doesn't move the needle for me. Uh, So I would look for the quick passing game to become the extension of the running game that quite clearly this, uh, this offense wasn't really working with the Jimmy Johnson style of play. You know, you don't have Emmett Smith back there anymore. You don't have the wall that Dallas had on the offensive line anymore. Who am I taking with me? This might be a weird answer, but I think the player I'd most be excited to take with me would be like George Kittle. As you think about the Dolphins, have never really had a really strong tight end presence, Right? And maybe it was a little bit more before their time to have, you know, a standout stud receiving option. But George is so good in both the passing and running phases of the game. So put him in over 
Troy Drayton, and I think you get a much better second option along with O.J. McDuffie in the passing game uh, that I get a little bit more excited about in the hunt for a chip. Uh, Of course, the Dolphins, uh, the following year in 97, they managed to work their way up to a 9-7 record, and then in 98, they were 10-6. So it's like they started drafting well and started landing some of these defensive players, and they already had a good defensive line. So like knowing I got a three-year window to work with, give me George Kittle, and I want to run quick passing game with Dan as an older version of himself. It's a good question, though. I enjoyed that one. Next one comes from Armando, uh, who wants to know what would be the worst-case scenario is, and where do the Dolphins go from there if Tua suffers a major injury in year one? Um, and, and first of all, let me say this about Tua and his durability. I know I've kind of touched on it before, and we, we talked about the hip a little bit today. The hip was a, you know, they called it a freak injury, more of a car accident-type injury than anything else. His previous two injuries, as far as the ankle injuries that he suffered, these were elective surgeries designed to quicken the recovery from high ankle sprains and also designed to prevent future injuries and reoccurrences of the same issue from happening again. So if we pretend the man's got bionic ankles, like the... Those were the threats to his playing time. And the first time he had one, he didn't miss a game. Was he completely himself? No, not necessarily. The second time he had one, he sat out a gimme game and was back for LSU and threw for 400 yards. So, But Armando, to answer your question, the worst case scenario for the Dolphins is if Tua suffers a major injury, Knowing Ryan Fitzpatrick is leaving and knowing that Josh Rosen is going to be in a contract year, I think the worst thing in contract year in 2021, I think the worst thing the Dolphins could do is simply elect not to address quarterback next offseason. If Tua has a massive injury, major season-ending injury after a very small sample size, I'm, I'm probably going to advocate for a day-two quarterback. Because Josh Rosen, and there's... Listen, there's people out there that say and advocate for you should draft a quarterback every year until you know you have one. The Dolphins right now think they have one, and if Tua gets hurt before he can prove that he's the answer this season, and now the durability thing really gets blown out of proportion, yes, I think you should probably draft another possible quarterback because at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that happens? You get them preseason snaps, and you can trade them. That's what happened with Matt Schaub in Atlanta. And he goes to Houston. There's plenty of examples. A.J. Feely to the Dolphins. There's a market here for backup quarterbacks who get a chance to start. Nick Foles. Good quarterback room is a good problem to have. And the Dolphins right now have a good problem with a good quarterback room but they don't have a lot of longevity guaranteed in that. Let's be honest, the Dolphins are going to be placing the franchise tag on Josh Rosen to keep him here. So Rosen's either going to want to stay here and take a backup quarterback contract, or he's going to want to try to get a chance to go somewhere and start. 
Davo, huge fan of Locked On Dolphins and Draft Dudes. Thank you. As someone who is just starting to test the water in the scouting pool, what are some traits you would look for in newbie scouts to see if they have talent? With all the availability of draft info nowadays, I feel it is difficult going forward to separate oneself from those who simply regurgitate information they read as opposed to those who have clear, thoughtful, and analytical process. Uh, Davo, that's a great question. And um, I do consider myself fortunate to have gotten in, quote-unquote, ahead of the curve a little bit. I don't envy uh, the young folks out there that are trying to make their way these days especially if you're trying to get in the media side, because Davo, as you said, there's so many people that are out there and there's so much information available. Best advice I can give anybody who wants to try and carve out a niche for themselves in college scouting, I would recommend that you find a place, whether it's, you know, I used a Blogspot account back in 2012 and 13. And I started posting every bit of my process and used that as a portfolio to present my full body of work. And there was everything from game notes and player notes and how I did parts of my scouting process and film breakdowns as far as just watching YouTube and like little bit diagrams and stuff like that. And you post all that and you, you invest your time into it that way. And you give yourself a chance to build a platform that's going to get noticed and people are going to notice, especially if you're, you're willing to share it and you're willing to engage with other people and have those exchanges and reference back to it. I think that's a big bit that uh, if you're just going to hop on social and just start firing off tweets and don't have anything of substance, you're probably going to struggle to separate yourself because there's so many people that have those opinions in this space these days. Last question from the iTunes front, and it comes from Elite Club Promotions. Love the show. Listen to it every day. Thank you. With all the opt-outs, what free agent wide receiver would you target? Would you test your luck with AB? I think if any coach can handle them, it's flow. Uh, this came on Wednesday of last week. And obviously the Dolphins signing Ricardo Lewis and Chester Rogers. I can tell you this, of all the receivers that are out there, the guys I would not have signed are probably Chester Rogers and Ricardo Lewis, who hasn't played a football game since 2017. I get signing Ricardo because he knows the system. He's been in the off, uh, he's been in the offensive meetings throughout the course of the summer, the Zoom calls. I get it. He uh, the the ramp up and, and onboarding process with him is less. I have no expectation that Ricardo Lewis is going to play actual downs for the Dolphins this year. And if he does, good for him. You know, maybe he can use that as a springboard to staying healthy and you know, getting himself uh, back on track with his professional career. Chester Rogers, very experienced in the slot. He's not very sufficient after the catch. He has some drop problems. I think I saw he was charted at like 14% drop rate. He's not very physical. He doesn't really win after the catch. I think he averaged 9.2 yards per catch in 2018 when he caught 53 balls for 485 yards and two touchdowns. Like player like that doesn't really move the needle for me. I get they want some savvy. They want some experience. I'd have gone with Chris Hogan, personally. If you want to go out and get a slot guy, I would have gone with Chris Hogan. It seems as though the Dolphins are really gravitating away from 
veteran players in their entirety, and maybe that's because they don't want to bring somebody into the picture who's going to take snaps that might be better served for somebody who's younger who could be a part of the picture for longer. So that's a variable that like, I'm not really taking into consideration when I say I would most prefer to have Chris Hogan if I were going to sign one of the wide receivers that were on the market. As far as Antonio Brown, I hope Antonio gets the structure um, and, and help that he needs for his mental health. You could tell there's, there's some underlying issues there with Antonio that, you know, it's not, you know, people like to make memes about Antonio and whatever and poke fun. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, it's really not funny. Like, he's, he's clearly battling with some mental health issues that uh, are creating a lot of destructive behavior. And uh, it's sad. You know, you, you look at his six-year sample size uh, before he left Pittsburgh. He's the best wide receiver in the game. And his career got cut off due to self-inflicted wounds at the height of his NFL career. Kind of sucks. Um, with that said, I, I again, looking at you know Miami's track record with age, I think just hit where he's at in his career is kind of a disqualifier for him for the Dolphins because, again, they don't seem too intent on bringing in older players. And, and while Antonio Brown is not old, or at least let's hope not because he's nine months older than I am, uh, he's old in the relative scheme and spectrum of NFL players. He's 32. He turned 32 this summer. So I don't necessarily think Antonio is a good fit, uh, but I think Antonio has bigger fish to fry than getting back on the football field. I think he's got to take care of himself first and foremost. As I said, you guys brought the heat this week. That was just the iTunes questions. Uh, we are going to get work through some rapid-fire Twitter questions because we got some good ones. Uh, Jack Ross, with the loss of Wilson and Hearns, any chance we use Breida as a hybrid wide receiver? He has great hands and awesome speed, and is very good in the open field. Uh, yes, he has very good speed. Uh, he's very good in the open field. Uh, you might manufacture him some targets out of the backfield. It's not necessarily somebody I'd be interested in like putting out at wide receiver with frequency. Now, that's something teams do do. They'll put their wide receiver all the way out on the boundary and see who goes out to to line up with him and if it's a linebacker it tells you they're playing man-to-man coverage and if it's a corner well then we're probably getting some kind of zone Uh, so you may see him utilized in that capacity because I don't think it makes a lot of sense to put Jordan Howard out there and pretend like he's going to run a slant or a glance route or a a stick pattern Um, but yeah I think you'll get probably some jet motion some uh, I'd like to see him kind of use some orbit motion and, and try and stress into the the perimeter. That orbit motion is when the the back comes in motion or the receiver comes in motion and runs bubbles behind the quarterback so that he's well set up to just kind of flip his eyes around and get a quick swing pass and kind of turn it into a quasi-punt return. Uh, Stuff like that with with Matt Breida, I think his explosiveness you could take advantage of a little bit. So that's, that's kind of where I'd look for Matt Breida to get involved in the passing game. Dan, I know the 2021 cap implications, but don't let good players keep you from signing great players. Logan Ryan at safety. Well, yes and no, and I freaking love Logan Ryan. Like, if we're being completely honest, Logan Ryan would have been near the top of, like, my wish list for the Dolphins this offseason. But they got Byron Jones instead as their heavy-hitting 
investment in the defensive backfield. Logan's 29. He's not old, but he's pushing it a little bit as far as what the Dolphins, uh, their track record. You know, Kyle Van Noy is currently 29 years old. He's the second oldest player on the roster behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's pretty, inc- pretty incredible that you got to this point and you've got one player over the age of 30 on your roster. Uh, Logan views himself as a safety. I know Logan was looking for more financial return than what he got paid last year, which is $10 million. So, like, we're not even... If you could get Logan to sign for five, yeah. I'd be all about it. And I'd I'd play him at safety. You want to be a safety? You want to be the Buda Baker type? Great. We're going to let you do that. But, I don't think Logan and Ryan is intent on playing for less than what he feels like he's worth. And as a result, I I just don't think it's a fit. Now, if Miami is committed to letting Brita walk, McMillan walk, Godshall walk, and they want to sign Logan Ryan to a a one- or two-year deal, okay, you know, that's how you accommodate that, is you you take short-term gains for long-term concessions. And I just don't think that's the mentality that the Dolphins have right now. Uh, and, and Logan's age, I don't think, helps him as far as Miami seems really eager to get pieces that are going to be here for three, four, five years plus. Uh, Ezekiel, which player jobs are on the line this year, knowing the Dolphins have four top 60 picks next year? Who needs to step up the most to avoid getting replaced? Okay, so this is a great question. Uh, slot receiver, whoever it is. Uh, it might actually be Mike Isaki, if we're being honest. Uh, I would really prefer to see them go with some 12 and go Shaheen and Gasecki and just let Gasecki cook in the slot. And you've got the biggest freaking skill group in the, in the face of the NFL. You put Jordan Howard out there, Shaheen, Gasecki, Hearns, and Williams. Like, let's go. We're going to beat the tar out of you up front. Um, whoever plays center, whether it's Karras or Dieter, whoever wins that job, needs to play well because Creed Humphrey's going to be there. And if the Dolphins get a pick in the teens, Creed Humphrey's going to make a lot of sense. And he is a perfect fit for the Dolphins style of play. I would say Devon Godchow to some degree, although I think with financials and his lack of explosive plays, I don't think it's going to be a huge stress to re-sign him. Raquan McMillan is reportedly getting pushed for a starting job for the second consecutive year. Uh, last year it was Sam McGuavin. This year it's Camus Gruger Hill. I don't think that bodes particularly well as far as what the writing on the wall is for Raekwon. And that's why I can kind of see the vision of Micah Parsons. If the Dolphins want to get better at that spot, they want to get somebody who's more three-down friendly at that spot, Micah Parsons, hello. Uh, and Bobby McCain is the last obvious one. Bobby played eight or nine games at free safety. He was super up and down. He's a pretty expensive contract for the Dolphins relative to the rest of their payroll. I think Bobby has a lot of pressure on him this year to perform and stay healthy. I would also include Xavier Howard to some degree in this, only because of the ease in which the Dolphins can get out of Xavier Howard's contract after this season, which we covered this a little bit talking about you know what, how easily Miami could trade Xavier Howard. 
you could get out of Xavier Howard's contract after the year with less than $7 million in dead cap. If your knee continues to be a problem again this year, Miami would probably be wise to see if they can get a plus value for him and make that decision from there. I hope it doesn't come to that, but I think X's health is a huge factor in his long-term sticking power for the Dolphins. Uh, Cintrons. As I'm looking over the potential edge outside linebacker class in 2021, it seems like the Dolphins could be in a great position to get a unique piece with outstanding length and athleticism, like a Charles Snowden from Virginia or Joe Tryon from Washington or Jordan Smith from UAB or even Merlin Robertson. Thoughts? Um, As I look at the edge group for the Dolphins, I do think it's interesting. There are kind of two subsections of edge defenders for the Dolphins. There are the odd front and even front type guys, right? So your even front type guys are your four down linemen. That's... Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Agba. Uh, I think you could put Vince Beagle in that group, but I don't love what you get there uh, with Vince Beagle as a hand-in-the-dirt type of guy. I would call out Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan as a really athletic 6'5", 278. You know, that's what we talk about with Greg Rousseau. Rousseau is 6'5", 260. Well, Hutchinson's got 20 pounds on him already, and he's going to have some of that ability to play outside defensive end, or if you want to stand somebody up who's more explosive outside of him, you can kick him down into the B-gap. Hutchinson's a name that I would gravitate towards as the Dolphins quite a bit. Quiddy Pay from Michigan, he's 6'4", 277, density. Think density on the edge for the Dolphins, especially if it's going to be a hand-in-the-dirt type of guy. They're outside rush linebackers, you know, these Andrew Van Ginkle, Kyle Van Noy types of guys. Very different, cut from a very different cloth, right? So as you look at these players, I look at someone like Hamilcar Rashad from Oregon State, 6'4", 240. Uh, Stand up, two-point release, very twitchy and explosive. He's comfortable in space. So I think you kind of have to compartmentalize there. Uh, But, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, I think if you're looking for a hand-in-the-dirt type of defensive end edge, I don't think a 255 guy is really going to move the needle for the Dolphins. you got to be thick. The last one I wanted to hit today, I know we're running a little longer than we usually do on Power to the Pod, but this is your fault, not mine. All I said is I'm the conductor of the train. You guys brought the questions. Some of your questions that went unanswered, Look for them to be touched on for segments over the course of the rest of the week. we got three days the rest of the week. Uh, Dolphins put their helmets on for the first time at practice on Thursday, so I'm sure we'll lose our collective minds over seeing Dol- two in a Dolphins helmet. Um, comes from T. Coop, and it's a great question. Are there any YouTube videos that you would recommend we watch to learn basic X's and O's of offense and defense so we can keep up with all of the scheme talk? Um, Yes, there are. I would highly recommend, what's the new one? I just It's uh, J.T. O'Sullivan's YouTube channel uh, talking about offensive play and quarterback dynamics and protections 
and how to read coverages and how defense is trying to overload and, and attack certain kinds of offenses and route combinations. It's terrific. It is um, the QB school. So they did, he does some live streams. He has a ton of videos out. And I really enjoy hearing J.T. O'Sullivan's perspective uh, on a lot of what he's bringing to his YouTube channel. So the QB school, uh, specifically for offensive play and offensive infrastructure and route combinations and protections and stuff like that, I would highly recommend. And then I would take advantage of NFL Game Pass. Uh, NFL Game Pass has a ton of sit-down film sessions with NFL players in which they talk about Jalen Smith from the Dallas Cowboys is a great example. And he talked about some of his triangle reads that he's making from uh, tight end to backside guard through the running back. And everything he's watching is through that cone. And you can hear Akeem Hicks talk about weight distribution of offensive linemen and how it tells him what's happening. And Xavier Rhodes, the the corner who's now with the Colts and was with uh, the Minnesota Vikings for a really long time, talking about the dynamics of receivers coming out of their release and how he knows within the first three yards what routes are coming based on alignment and based on how he, he attacks a release. Minka Fitzpatrick, bless his heart, he's on there. He had some good stuff to talk about. Uh, Jamal Adams, Quentin Nelson. So like they're pulling guys from all different kinds of positions, and they're talking about the dynamics specifically of what they're tasked with doing based on what opposing offenses are giving them. Melvin Ingram, uh, the edge rusher from the Chargers, was another one that I really liked. Free safety Eddie Jackson from the Bears just had one that came out. So I would check those out. And uh, I'll, I'll look to see if I can pull any more. But just off the top of my head, T. Coop, those are two places that I would definitely start uh, because the goal here is to uh, make you guys enjoy the game as best as you possibly can. And the way that that worked for me was the more understanding I grew of the game and what's happening, the less of an emotional roller coaster it was for me and the more I could actually process and understand here's what went right, here's what went wrong, here's how we can fix it. And I can develop my own opinions on how we can do those things. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Power to the Pod. I know I certainly did. Kyle Krabs signing off for today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Come back, see us again tomorrow. We have three more shows the rest of this week. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I hope to see you soon.